Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. Follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can find me at the Dan Urban. You can follow the podcast at Couchside Judges, and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen. And if you like this show, give us that five-star review I ask you every week for. And as always, we talk judging and MMA, so head on over to abcboxing.com to read the criteria. Dan, we had a very good day yesterday. It was a good day. We're recording on Sunday. This is this is Sunday. So when we say yesterday, we mean Saturday at the fights. Yes, we had a good time. How was the trek to and from Long Island for you, sitting in the passenger seat of my car and doing nothing but sitting? Rather horrible. Yeah. It wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the George Washington Bridge had a random lane closed for no reason. It did. Yeah. Like, absolutely no reason. Mm-hmm. Um... Then we got into Long Island. I don't know, three, four hours later, and yeah, it was like it was probably more like seven to nine hours later. Yeah, we we left at eight in the morning. We stopped at, at a bagel place, and we got to the uh, venue at ten. So that's like probably fourteen hours. It's it's about that. Yeah, yeah. It it was a it was a stressful trip. I needed a nap after. Mm. I'm sorry you didn't get the nap at the fights but you yeah know, nonetheless it is what it is it, it is it was an exciting fight you know day of fights that's why you couldn't nap it's, it's true a fight but it was a good time and you pointed out too that that like when you're watching a fight even if it's a decision you're kind of it's probably a little more exciting than watching at home you're more into it yeah you're more into it yeah yeah that was a good point um but yeah, I mean, I think I had a, I had a good experience. Obviously, my experience was different than yours. You you came as a you bought a ticket, you got in there, and you were sitting in the crowd uh, around a lot of the Long Island guys, a lot of the Long yeah, Island fighters. Basically, yeah, same uh, same section as Aljo, the, the bantamweight champ. Uh, me, Rob Divalshvili, jumping into every single photo that Aljamain was taking with people. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian was in the section. Uh, Randy Brown was there. Joe B was there. Randy Brown was blocking your view. Yeah, he's a tall man, and he's standing up from the second row. I'm like, oh, I guess I got to stand now and cause the whole section to stand up yep. or yell at people to sit down. You should have yelled at Randy <laughs> Brown to sta- sit down. I told you. <laughs> Couldn't do it, no. Ah. He would, he would, he, his hands were massive. They, they, they'd go around my neck with just a single grasp. Do you think he could have palmed your head and picked you up and then thrown you? He'd be very strong if he could, but he definitely palmed my head. That's true. You're not a, sh- you're not a small man. I'm not a small no. man. Neither of us is small. So it was it, it was it was really fun. Well, Misha Tate's family was there. Yair Yair's family was in the section. Okay, so it was a lot going on. Family affair for you? Yeah, you should have tried to join one of their families. <laughs> I had I had the one of the flags uh, waving in my face during Yair's introduction. There you go. I may have made it on national television getting smacked in the face with a flag. I don't know. Well, uh, we'll have way- to go back and watch. That is the way to do it. <laughs> Definitely, definitely how it gets done. No, I had a good time too. Uh, you know, prob- probably if you were watching at home, you saw my face on there. I was seated right behind where the introductions were made for the blue corner. So anytime at the beginning of a fight, the fighter was coming out from the blue corner, you saw me. I was wearing my my green, blue, teal, sea green shirt, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, so that that that's me. Yeah, Scott Scott had prime viewing. I had, and I, I've been describing it this way, I had the best view that you could pretty much get except for being like a part of the UFC production team, more or less, or being a fighter in the cage or an official. So I was like, I would say, I would say I was probably 12 feet from the fence. Yeah. And you, it was like was the middle of a panel. Really? So I had a good view. Really close. Mm-hmm. 
And still, there's there's still obstructed views from even there. And I think that's probably still like the ideal media position is where I was because you still had the vast majority of the cage you could see. But if they were off to one of the uh, adjoining panels to the one I, I had a good view from, there's like a, like a little area where if they go there, they're invisible pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And so you don't have the the screen, so well I can look at the screens uh, up, up in the in up, the yeah. The, but also one you have to look away, and you can miss things in transition. And number two, there was like you know like a crane with like a camera on or or something mm-hmm. else. So it was still like a slightly obstructed view of a screen. Imagine if you were at like a bar watching a TV, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, let's run a cable just in front of that, yeah, and it's gonna stay there forever. That was kind of how <laughs> it was like. Um, this is not me complaining. I'm just kind of helping set the set the uh, the stage for you. I, mm-hmm. I I thought it was a fantastic view. I had a I had a great experience covering the fights that way. I was disappointed that I had to go up to not not that I had to go up to do this, but after Shane Burgos won, I was writing about him for New York Post for my outlet who I was covering for. Um, so I I wanted to go up and and do the interviews with him because all the undercard fighters before the co-main event. Uh, before Watterson Gomez against Lemos, all those fighters were supposed to come up and do their post-fight stuff right after. So I went up. I'm expecting, and when I got up there, Lauren Murphy was still talking from the fight before she won. And I'm like, okay, once they're done, they'll bring back Shane very shortly. Shane never came, at least at that point. And that's not Shane's fault. That was just a miscommunication on the the UFC's team and where he was supposed to be at different points and stuff like that and to relay that information to us so i had to miss watching live from the cage the next two fights and that included matt schnell's wild 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 win over Subadarji. so i didn't get to sit cage side for definitely the best fight of the night that was a little disappointing you know these are first world problems <laughs> they really are so i bet it was it was a good experience i had a good time and and shane did come up for the post fight after the main event so i still got what i needed for my work purposes talk to shane along with you know other media obviously talked to shane as well uh including some that just wanted to talk about mma judging with shane right that that was horrible it, I... it didn't go very well and and the two Media individuals who were doing so were from the same podcast, and one of them is former fighter Dennis Bermudez. It, it was, and he was the one who was asking the questions about the judging, pretty much. At that, I don't know why no one just stepped in and be like, "Listen, we're done here. Like, move on." I think pick someone else. Just reading looks on UFC officials' faces, I got the sense like, okay, this is dragging too much. But I'm, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. I don't want to, you know, put uh, meaning behind what they were feeling, you know. But yeah, I mean, it just obviously we're a judging show. I feel like we got to talk about it just a little bit, like just, just the fact that he was asked. Shane was asked by Dennis, "How do you win a fight?" And Shane's like, "I don't know." He goes, "I don't know. I don't know." And you know, I think that speaks to the way a lot of fighters feel about not understanding the rules and how they're supposed to win and stuff but i i just i feel like it's more because they don't actually understand what it is because shane was mentioning the fact that it's like you know he, he mentioned like this and this and octagon control it's like okay that's where the misinformation kind of gets out there and, and gets pervasive and then people misinterpret it right so it, it came up eventually that they do like training and that kind of thing and and i was one of the people who pointed out they're actually doing training in niagara next week uh, and someone else also pointed out that texas is doing it now granted i don't know how texas is going to train things right i don't know what that means when they train um so i can i couldn't even say whether it um is going to be different or not from what abc does but i can understand why there might be some confusion especially when it is texas unfortunately which mm. has a terrible rep 
you know, we, we've certainly spoken about that ad nauseum on this show. But I, you know, ABC, like that's where you want to go if you want to get the actual proper training because that's the officials are the top officials. It's run through the actual service that is going to um, certify you, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and the, the, I had I had more problems with this. Okay, because Bermudez is asking things, or maybe it was his partner. I, I'm not really sure, but he's after he asks this question, and Shane clearly says, "No, I don't know what it is." So Shane is is unfamiliar with the criteria. And now he's going on to, do you get upset when you hear a certain judge is on your fight or a certain official? And, and he's trying to get him to, to call someone out, and, and Shane refused to do that. But then it, it's like he doesn't know what he's looking at. So how can he know who's good and who's not? Sure. So you can't offer advice to fix something if you don't know how it already is. Yeah, you got to at least like, understand so, the problem. That, 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 that's a, a problem where I got. like th- That conversation should have been, do you know how a fight is scored? No. Okay, moving on. Right, and but that's it. but obviously Dennis is a fighter and he's not really, you know, reporter. Yeah. He's he's technically media in that he has a podcast, but you know, we have a podcast, so you're technically media too. Even though you don't like to identify that way. Not really, no. But I could I, I mean I'm down to sit on media row. <laughs> like, yeah. That's it. Now, all those seats look really good. Well, so. you know. But it's that is the unfortunate part of this 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 lack of understanding and I hope we can do more to to kind of get the word out. There are definitely a lot more media going to next week at Niagara, and we'll talk about that uh, next, you know, later in the show. I think we'll probably wrap up with that. But to get back to Saturday's fights in general, let's let's kind of let's look at the the featherweight division now. After the unfortunate way that the main event ended, it's it's a legitimate win by Yair Rodriguez over mm-hmm. Brian Ortega. It was it was an injury based on actions he was doing to try and get an armbar. It wasn't you know mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly the way intended, but nonetheless, it, it's it's not. I guess it, there's there's a flukiness to it, but it's also an earned win in in that it didn't just not ha- you know it didn't just happen weirdly without him doing anything right. He mm. didn't just like step wrong, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't want to harp on that I, part. The point, the yeah. point is more. It's not. It's not the ideal of a clean win that we really like. Well, Yair's not happy with it. No, he's not. So, no one is happy, of course. So, and Brian is is even less happy, of course, because he's now facing maybe shoulder surgery again. But yeah, you know, what do you what do you do with featherweight now? Because the obvious answer would have been Yair wins. And then he gets the title shot because that was what apparently had been discussed, at least with with Yair. Uh, obviously, things change anyway. And this was a weird thing. So it's like that's not necessarily the most definitive way to get a title shot. And there's the fact that Alexander Volkanovsky has a broken hand. He's going to be out just a little bit if, you know, who knows how long. And then end of the year, got to be. And well, Yeah, probably. And and then Brian Ortega, if he's going to be out for a while, they can't even just do an immediate rematch as both fighters have expressed interest in doing. Um what the heck do you do now? I mean, do you do you just wait for Volkanovski before you have another title fight? Or as someone suggested during uh, Dana's media availability yesterday, what if you did Yaya Rodriguez against Josh Emmett for an interim title? And then Dana kind of sounded like, yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. That sounds like the way to go. Yair fought for four minutes, took zero damage. He, he, was, he was doing very well on the feet before it hit the ground. Uh, they're basically on the same timeline or very close to it anyway. I could see them them fighting for interim title before the end of the year. I could see them doing it. I don't so, want it. it the, the uh, interim put it title way, is unnecessary. Put it put it but, this way: I would like to see how long Volkanovski is supposed to be out. If he can fight in calendar year twenty twenty one or twenty then what year are we? Twenty. We're in twenty twenty two. Scott. Nineteen eighty six. In calendar year nineteen eighty. Yeah, twenty twenty two. If he can fight before the year is out. 
whatever year that is. <laughs> I I don't see why you need an interim title fight. The guy has fought twice this year defending his belt. Right. If he can't, if he can defend a third time by December, why do you need an interim belt? He would be an active champion. Three yeah. title fights. Even if, you, if who he, begrudges how he, yeah. frequ- infrequently title right, fights right. happen, That's you, you could be like, okay, three's fine. If he did three this year, which I, I don't see it happening, mm-hmm. but you can just do Yair versus Emmett for number one contendership. For the clear the, number one contender. You yeah. don't need the interim title, right, but right. they're going to put an interim title on it. Uh, odds are, so, yeah, unfortunately, because now, now the interest has been stoked. And they can always put that on a pay-per-view and put gold on it and say, hey, it's even better. Yeah, I mean, why why does Flyweight have an interim title championship coming up? It's almost the same thing. Because reasons, like, Dan. So it's like it's Because insane. reasons. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Yeah, I know, it's dumb. It's a good fight though. But yeah. Yeah, it's great dumb. fight. It's just there's no reason to put a title on. And now you don't now they've been doing these these five round non title fights, so you don't even actually there's not even the excuse of like, well, at least you can do five rounds now. No, you can do it anyway. Yeah, you can always you don't have, need I the mean, belt anymore. The third fight on the main card, and Nate Diaz and, and Ed, Leon Edwards was five rounds. Yeah. So you can just make a five-round fight if you want a five-round mm-hmm. fight. You know, if that was only a three-round fight, there would never have been that slap that obviously won the fight well, for Nate Diaz. he would have like, done it earlier. You, you assume. Yeah. He just would have done it earlier. He just would have done it earlier. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think we're more or less united there. What about what about women's 125 now? Because I think the obvious answer would have been Misha Tate. If she wins, she gets the title fight. That was something even Valentina Shevchenko had expressed interest in. Um, it, it clearly did not go Misha Tate's way at 125. I think she. This is still probably a good weight for her. I don't think she moved around poorly. She just definitely didn't win that fight. Um, and her face bore the results of that, and I think she knows it too. Um, but yeah, Lauren Murphy looked really good in in so much as she, I think this was probably one of the more complete performances she put out there, but she just challenged for the belt. It didn't go her way. It didn't look very good. And extenuating circumstances, be they as they may, with, with having uh, C. diff, as she revealed this week, it's still, you're still not going to put Lauren Murphy in the next title fight against Valentina Shevchenko. So what do you do with that? No. Belt? What, what do you do with that belt? What you're going to do is you're going to do uh, whatever happens between Fior and, and Caitlin Jukagian. Yeah, Whoever I think that makes that a lot of sense. Is going to get it. So. That that one at least, if if Caitlin Jukagian wins, she'll have a few wins under her belt since mm-hmm. that that loss to Shevchenko, and it makes it a lot easier to say, okay, she can get that fight, right? Yeah, and if Fior wins, she beat the number one contender basically. It, yeah. As far as the rankings. Are yeah, put, more so. or less. Yeah. So. And I think they would like to see Fjord get in there. Oh, actually, wait, no. Chukagian got hurt. She's not in that fight. It's now Andrade versus Fjord. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, and that's a yeah. good one, too. So I, I I think either one there, really. Thank Whoever you. For, I'm glad that. you pointed that out. Yeah. No, that that's interesting. That would be a good one. So, yeah, I think that's what you do with that division. All right. I mean, that makes the most sense at this point. There's, there's You got to do something. Um, I guess the only other option is you just press the pause button and let Valencia Shevchenko go up and challenge for... The 135 pound belt, yeah, regardless whoever, of who whoever wins. wins yeah. I think regardless of who wins, yeah. because if 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 Juliana Pena wins again, mm-hmm. obviously they're not going to do a be you know weirdness aside. Let's say you know suffering a shoulder injury during an armbar aside. Yeah, you're not going to see an immediate Amanda Nunes Juliana Pena number three. It's just not going to happen. So. Yeah, you, you put up there. You say, "Hey, she's got the already. She already has the win over the champ. Maybe she can go for the double champ status against someone she's beaten." Or there's that third fight against Amanda Nunes, and and even though she's zero and two against it, a lot of people felt in a very similar way to uh, Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky that maybe a third fight was warranted because of the closeness of, round, yeah. of the second one. 
Or they yeah. just wait to see how long Taylor Santos is out and then. Tyler Santos shouldn't back. get the immediate. So I don't. I don't, I don't agree either. Yeah, I, I so. don't want that. I don't think that's right because I still don't think that that win was as close as some people realize. Like, really right. thought. Yeah. I was talking to people at the at the event. They're like, hey, "Who would you think? Uh, uh, did you think that Santos won?" And you know, not not criticizing or anything. Because obviously, there's a lot of people who have this belief, but I just I really don't see it. I I I told I've been telling them, and I think we've said it on mm-hmm. our show. It's much easier to give four rounds to Shevchenko than it is to give three rounds to Santos. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I would, I'd be disappointed if they did a rematch there and not because of anything I have against Tyler Santos. I just don't think it was that close. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to contested rounds is one that's not a contested round, but I went against the grain against the judges from my cage side seat, of course. And that is round one of Dwight Grant against Dustin Stolzfus. Now, I gave this one to Stolzfus watching it live, uh, and Grant was the one who got all three judges' scores. So we had to watch this one again, Dan, right? Because obviously this has to be – this is the point of this exercise in particular is to acknowledge the fact that you're going to watch things one way, cage side, from a different view, and then you can watch them another way at home, and things can look very different. Because as I'm watching this fight from my seat, close round, close round either way, you know, having watched it both ways, I still think it's close. But I thought that the leg kicks were what Stolzfus was was succeeding in very. I thought they were thudding. I thought they landed real hard. You don't hear it, you know, but you can tell when it when it's kind of getting into the meat there, and it sounded good, at least from where I was sitting. And I thought that a lot of what Grant was landing, it looked like it might have been missing. And okay. then I watched it from home. And you said you thought it was close, too. You thought it was a close round. When, when I was watching live, I thought it was close. I want to mm-hmm. point out that the, at the end of the round, I thought Stoltzfus landed a big head kick from my seat. Watch it on TV. I mean, he wasn't even close. Not even close to not the even head. Close to, not even close to, to Dwight Grant. He, like, hit his wrist. Mm-hmm. So, like, things are way different when not, you're there. Obviously, your view so, was, was... I had a much worse not view. As, not, yeah. not as close as mine, and that's not to, to make you feel bad yeah. about yourself. It's just it, it, the reality of it. I was much closer. But, yeah, I mean, things look different. We watched it back from home, and, you know, I think watching from home, I think I would most definitely have gone for Grant in that round. Yeah, um, I still think I still think I, Stoltz was landing some solid leg kicks Oh, it's a close, round, it's a close so. one, and he checks a kick early on that I mm. thought was a really good checked kick, mm. too. And that's damage the other way. Yeah. Especially if you see how they react. Now, I think he took it well, but, I mean, you saw how it lands. Like, it's not going to yeah. feel good. I've yet to see a fighter throw a kick, get checked, and then yell, Ow! <laughs> Ouchie wawa. That would be interesting. That would be funny. Or like if they shout owie. That'd be good. <laughs> mommy! Mommy, kiss my boo-boo. <laughs> I still kiss my kids' boo-boos. It makes mm. them feel better. But I'm not mommy. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it, that's just that round in particular, and the way I saw it and the way the other way, you know, you see it from home. It's it totally is real that there is a different way of watching it from cage side. Not that I didn't know this before, right? When we were in, uh, when it was in New York in November, I didn't even want to score from my position because I didn't think mm. I had the greatest. So I was, I was a little farther away. I thought, you know, there were enough obstructions in my way that I thought it was tougher. My seat this time was such that I was like, you know what? I should try to score it. I really should just to kind of experience it a little better. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it, it totally highlights the difference. Now, if I was a judge, I'm sitting, let's say, eight feet closer than I was sitting right now, uh, and just i would say slightly fewer obstructions but you know i mean you're watching these fights all night and different positions have different views than what you saw on tv sometimes it's better 
Sometimes it's legitimately better than what you got on TV, and sometimes it's not as good. It's just the way it is. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, let's go to contested rounds then. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we move on with that? Right? Mm-hmm. We don't have too many. We've got five. No winners really are. In, well, technically, I guess the scoring of this first fight is makes it such that you could question how the winner got there, right? Or 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 the way things happen. Well, right? This is interesting scoring, which is all the way around. So. It it is, it is, and I think it's just an interesting fight to score. It's like a, it's. I feel like it would be a good test case of like a full fight for for prospective judges to yeah. watch or something, right? So mm-hmm. let's let's go to round one first, Dan. What's happening in Shane Burgos against Charles Jordan? Yeah, round one, Burgos comes out. He's walking Jordan down. He's throwing some leg kicks, some decent ones. Jordan's fighting off his back, going back, fo- going backwards. He throws a head kick. It's blocked. He throws, you know, a front kick. Doesn't come close. It does land a nice right, though, or a jab. And uh, Burgos is the one that's landing, you know, the better strikes in this, although not that much better. Uh, once they clinch and it hits the ground, Burgos has the full body lock. He's cranking the neck really hard. Uh, I think it's a pretty solid neck crank. About a minute of that or so before Jordan is able to scramble and get it back to the feet. This first minute back on the feet is where Jordan's offense is, is really good. He hits a nice foot sweep, gets out of, uh, gets his own clinch, and lands some solid knees to the body here. I think these were these were definitely not storley knees. These were really good knees. Uh, but once once they break the clinch, Burgos keeps pressing forward. As they exchange strikes, uh, the thing is, Jordan wins the striking exchanges overall, but not by a big enough margin to pass what Burgos did in the first half of the round, along with his grappling and striking. So I'm on ten nine Burgos. Yeah, in a very I w- close round. I was too. I was too. I I thought that especially the the grappling element was was a highlight of that. I mean, he's he's going for the choke over the chin, but that doesn't mean he's not you know doing damage or potentially getting toward a finish. You know yeah, that he- that's that is the most immediately impactful moment of the round mm-hmm. i would say the the highest damage so to speak you know closest to the finish you know mm-hmm. and the fact that, that i think the rest of the round really just isn't all that much of a blowout or anything like that in jordan's way i think you highlighted it well burgos does well in the mm-hmm. early part of the round Jor- jordan goes well in the later part of the round but i think by then it, he just hadn't overcome right everything that burgos had done so yeah i feel good about this one being a burgos round but i do see the argument i really do yeah, you can make the argument that it's a close round. Yeah. So yeah, so you and I were united. It's Burgos, uh, Eric Colon, and Chris Lee had it that way too. Mike Bell was the out judge on this one, and yeah, yeah, I can see it. Sure. Mm-hmm. What about round two? Round two, uh, first minute they start with you know Burgos walking him down again. Jordan uh, walking down Jordan, and, and they both land a couple strikes. Uh, but Burgos almost immediately gets back clinch and uh, takes him down and locks in the body triangle. He lands some strikes here and there, and he has a really strong squeeze around the jaw. This is a really strong uh, sub attempt, but for the most part of this round was him just trying to keep the position. Uh, he ends the round like boxing the ears a bit, and that was just like for, wild. that was for show, yeah. not so much as for so, damage. Uh, I can see a ten eight based on I guess you you, you would give dominance and duration, um, maybe a little bit of damage for that sub attempt, but I, I think it's it's more of a nine. So I went ten nine. Yeah, I. I think well said, sir. I also had it as a a nine because it's just it, it didn't reach that. It's like an eight and a half, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. the half point idea there, and a ten eight in the CSJ system, so to speak. Yeah. So no, I don't think it quite got there. I can get why because when when you are in that like yeah, kind of that waffle mode, there's enough there. I mean, there's dam there's dominance and duration. Mm-hmm. He's got two Ds, and you can give that. You you should consider. 
Mm -hmm. the 10-8 in that scenario and Mike Bell obviously considered it and he went that way and I like the idea of it I I feel like I'm so poisoned by the backlash to the 10-8s that happened last year at this point that I'm like well it should be a 10-9 now but it's like you you asked me this last year I'd have been like this should be a 10-8 I I would have been passionate about this I still would like to see this as a 10-8 I would too but unfortunately we just don't have that right now yeah I wish they they were I don't want I don't want them handed out like candy I just want them handed out for rounds that are different this was a different round Mm -hmm. you know it was much different than the first round Mm -hmm. and you can say the same about round three yeah, yeah. I should also say that the same judges had the splits here. So Mike Bell was the out judge and uh, Cologne and Lee, they had it uh, for Burgos just like we did. But yeah, round three is is an interesting case because all three judges had this as a 10-9 for, for Jordan. But when the scores were being read, and even when I was sitting cage side next to um, Mark Lamonica of Newsday, he was saying, I wonder if this will be a majority decision, thinking that round three would be a 10-8 for Jordan. So yeah, before the scores were announced, I texted Scott, but he was busy, so he never he never got to it in time. Oh, I I saw it. I just uh, didn't like you. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> no, I, 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 I missed it. I, I said twenty eight twenty eight, maybe maybe a twenty eight twenty seven, where both fighters got a ten eight in round two and in round three. Um, uh, that wasn't the case. It was twenty nine twenty eight, twenty nine twenty eight, and twenty eight twenty eight. So, but round three, people pe- people were saying, if you give round two a ten eight, why don't you give round three a ten eight? I think both rounds are. Like Scott said, a 10-8 and a half. Uh, I didn't think Jordan's uh, strikes were all that immediately impactful early part of the round. At the end of the round, I, he lands some big bombs, and, and you can see that, that Burgos is, is a bit hurt there. But I, I don't think I would have pulled the trigger for an 8 in, in round 3. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, but also, it, it, again, I feel like I'm just like, my whole idea of what should be an eight sometimes gets skewed watching live. It's easier mm-hmm. for me to evaluate it like on second watch. Um, and, and I recognize this is not something judges get to do, but, you know, and I always give them the benefit of the doubt in that sense that it's like, hey, it's tough, you know. Um, but you look at the numbers here, right? And the numbers don't tell you everything, but significant strikes which again are you know pass fail whether it's a significant strike or not 84 to 26 in jordan's favor when you see those margins for striking totals typically speaking judges are giving 10 eights that's just how it it goes out judges don't have those numbers doesn't matter that that's that's not something you hold against a judge you know Mm -hmm. but when you do see that margin it typically does end up going that way obviously not in all cases but I think when you have the fact that there are a lot of strikes being landed and the fact that there there are moments late in the fight where Jordan is starting to kind of it's piling up in a way that's actually affecting mm-hmm. Shane Burgos. He's hurt a little bit. He he kind of masks it well because he continues to fight. But he's like he's backed up at one point. He like bounces off the cage. He's kind of hurt there. It was like I want to say there's like 90 seconds left or something like that in the fight. And I feel like around that point, if you caught that. And you account for all this stuff like a 10-8 is it's probably easier to give here than it is to give in round two. I agree. Because it's got the damage element that that the commissions now want. They want that damage. I I just think they're both 10-8s and a half. Yeah. There. So which means (laughs) 10-8. Yeah. You know what? I'm fine with that. Even though I've been going nines here. So I just I want to see more. I want to see more more flexibility in the scoring. I mean, I wonder if it was because I say this all the time. I know it was a large margin, but it wasn't a total blowout. Like Burgos did land some good shots in well, this round, so I. I but it is a large margin. There. The problem is large margin isn't really a factor anymore. Yeah, they've kind of moved away from that, which is also but, a shame. But like, also, like I said, those the early part. I mean, it didn't look like it had a huge effect. The the ones at the end had had the solid effect. Yeah, 
So, yeah, I think that's where you'd start to say, okay, maybe we can really go to the, to the eight here. He doesn't wear any visible damage, though. Like, uh, it's not like he's busted up on the face, too. So I feel like that mm-hmm. helps a lot. Like, probably if he was eating that much damage and he had, say, Misha Tate's broken cheekbone, um, which I assume was broken. Yeah. I mean, just I've looked at it before and I've broken cheekbone before. So I, I've broken both cheekbones before. So, yeah, that, that looked fractured orbital. And if he had that plus everything else, I, I feel like that's an eight. I feel like that they would just go the other way. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not saying that that should be what it is, but I feel like that type of thing is the thing that makes it a lot easier mm-hmm. to go the eight. Oh, it helps for sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, why, a very interesting fight. I, I would love to discuss this fight in particular with uh, with the training officials maybe next week. At, yeah. At Agar, which again, we'll talk about more later. But mm. on to more consistent rounds. We do not too many more. We only got three more. Uh, all in all in different uh, women's fights. All, all three women's fights of the of the afternoon mm-hmm. uh and that is, and morning because one of these was in the morning this one yes emily ducati against jessica penne she got the win 29 28 and 30 27 two of them are 29 28 i should say so round two is the round in question which started at 11 a.m yeah in eastern time local time for the fighters um and someone else pointed out by the way before we get into it someone else pointed out that this being the morning this being like midday and everything around the time that these fighters are actually training. I wonder if it like made it easier for them to kind of get after it. And I don't think Shane Burgos was asked directly about this, but he did kind of, yeah, he I made a that. reference to the fact that like, Hey, maybe that helped, you know? So maybe there's something he, to it. He said something a lot. He likes fighting around 2 PM. And when, That's when they're right, on, when they're on pay-per-views, it's had to fight like much, 1045 yeah. his, his last fight in Vegas. Right. He said That's too late. And then I think, I think it was still Bermudez Horrible. who was talking to him and he was like, well, that's the breaks when you move up the rankings. You're going to be later in the card. Yeah. Which I guess he has a point. So. He does, but also, you know, he's later in the card and he got to compete in the afternoon this time. So yeah. maybe maybe there's a way this doesn't have to be the norm. <gasps> oh, yeah. Afternoon fights would be awesome. I want, you know what? Imagine if fight nights were, were Saturday afternoons and then the um the pay-per-views were the ones at night. Yeah, sa- uh, only Saturday afternoons, not during college football season. No, I understand. get crushed. I understand. Uh, it was, it's not good. Yeah. And you can't do it during any football season, really. Yeah. Because you can't put it on Sunday. Yeah. That would be possibly worse. Just Probably wh- worse. Wednesday night fight night. Yeah, thank- oh, yeah. Let's just do that. Anyway, to, on to Emily Ducati and Jessica Penne. Round two, Dan. What's happening? Yeah, this was, this was a good back and forth round. I thought both were landing some good shots to the face. I, I think Ducati's landing with a bit more pop. Uh, towards the end of the round, Ducati lands a, a calf kick, and it's it gets a pretty good reaction. A, you know, a slight limp on Penne. She's trying to hide it, but you you can tell there's there's some good immediate effect there. Uh, then she lands this really hard three punch combo, and that's what put it over for me for Ducati. So ten nine, Ducati. Yeah, in a close competitive round. It is a close round. So when I had scored this one for Ducati. I thought it was a close round. I even pointed out that uh, Penne had landed some really nice knees, and, and and I thought that this was a very close round, but I just went Ducote's way. And I was surprised to find, I guess I shouldn't be surprised anymore, but I was surprised to find the the social media backlash of people going, how how did, where did Jessica Penne win a round? Where did she win a round? <laughs> As, that's my collective MMA Twitter voice. They talk like that. Uh, <laughs> when they all band together, they form some sort of weird marble mouth person <laughs> and it's close it really is a close round because th- this is the round where i don't think Ducoti did as much like immediately impactful damage as she had in round one or would in round three mm-hmm. this was the round that was more back and forth a little a little less you know high uh peaking right and jessica penne lands near the end of this round 
she lands some really good knees right in the middle of the cage. And when I'm sitting cage side and I watch this happen, I have a perfect view from the side to see how they're landing from Jessica Penne on in, in the clinch, like when they're in the little cage in the clinch on Emily Ducote. But when I watched it back with you to score this time, all you see is Ducote's back and you can barely see how they land. So from your view, they weren't storly knees. No, they, they were, were not. Knees. They were pretty good knees. All right. And I don't think that they were blocked very well. I think they landed. All right. You know, I think they got up there. That's what it looked like from my view. And, and you know, that, that even that view is flawed to a degree, but so is TV. I just felt that if you could sit there, it, it really highlighted again, like the different view that you get, especially when there are people that are one in front of the other. You know, no mm. one understands the difference of that when you're sitting cage side. And then sometimes you get it cage side too. You get a referee who walks in front of you too. That makes it even harder. So, I forget what fight it was, but Big Dan was in my view almost the whole way. Like, come on, Dan, get out of my way! And like you said, he's kind of big. <laughs> he's a big guy and tan, tan Dan. Oh, tan Dan, that's right. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, people call him Big Dan. Well, he's big, like, but it's not fair to have two referees named Big. Big John McCarthy got it first. He's yeah. got that all lockdown. Right. I think he needs to be Tan Dan. They can't all just be big because they're big. They need different nicknames. I guess Tan Dan, Tan Dan, Tan Dan, works. and it rhymes. And you're not you're not tan Dan. You're just you know. I'm very not tan. You're kind of pale Dan. <laughs> I'm opposite of tan yeah. Dan. Freckled Dan. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. You're freckled Dan. It doesn't yeah. flow though. It's not a good one. The beard's nice yeah. though. It's a good. It's a good yeah. touch. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Kind of has the hides the freckles. All right. Yeah. So shave it off. Go freckled. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> no one cares about it. That. But this is again. This is this really highlights the fact that things look different when you're there. Um, even though, yeah, look, the, the, when the UFC is in town, as you pointed out, Dan, when the UFC is in town and they're, they're the ones running the show, right? Mm -hmm. They provide monitors for the officials to look at cage side if they right. need to. Right. Mm -hmm. So even when those scenarios happen where somebody's blocked, they can look down at their screen, but there's that, that moment of transition where you go up and you go down and you look at your screen, you can still miss stuff, you know? Yeah. Once you've identified that you don't have a good spot. You probably already missed something. So I think you just sometimes have to accept it. Look, no matter what, whether they're watching on TV in the back room or they're watching only with their eyes up front or they have some sort of hybrid scenario, it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to get every view of every action unless the referee can be invisible and you can see through the fighter who's delivering the, the damage or, or strikes or whatever, some sort of transparent individuals. Now, what you got to do, you just got to put the judges in the cage. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Or maybe watch, have them watch from above. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did have like I had thought, and this would never happen. I'm not, nobody's gonna make the, this accommodation. But my thought was, what if because the judges have to sit like four feet back because of the walkway, mm. what if there was a cutout for them to sit four feet closer so that they could look re right next to the cage? That would be yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That's right like, next to the cage, and then someone throws a blast double at a judge, and gets whacked. <laughs> judge get knocked out. Why do you want them to get hurt, sir? What's the matter with you? I'm just thinking. You're a horrible this. person. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I I imagine they'd be able to look, get away, yeah, probably yeah. just in time. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, they're not putting their face against the cage. I think they're smart uh, enough individuals to know better than that. Well, that's all. Well, now that's kind of what I picture like them like. <laughs> Sticking their nose through the hole in this, yeah. in one of the. Cages. So don't grab the judge's nose. <laughs> Hands off the judge's nose. 
Yeah. But no, I mean, that's that's the that's like a good way you can get at least four feet closer. And then maybe there mm-hmm. are fewer obstructed views. But I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, that but, has then, its well, then, too. Then, but again, but no one's doing that. Then the ring car girl can't walk all the way around. the. Uh, no, she can step the over them. OK. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe. Or here's a thought. Do we need ring car girls? I don't know. Like, I'm not saying you fire them, but do they need to walk all the way around? Who was walk? Who watches them anymore to be like, what round is it? <laughs> Good thing she's going around the octagon to show everybody what number it is. Because realistically, how many people are watching the round card? <laughs> Just being serious. It's a good you know? point. It's a good point. So anyway, I, that's a different conversation. But you and I both saw it for Ducote, even though two out of the three judges, uh, Doug Crosby and Eric Cologne, saw it for Jessica Penne. We sided with Dave Torelli. What does that mean for Judge Torelli? Couchside override. <laughs> See, now it's dangerous for me to say it gets lost in the mail because like, I could probably drive it over to his gym or even I, I mean I don't know where he lives but I know he lives within like 10 minutes of my house okay. so I could probably get it to him <laughs> should send so alright this is where I well, maybe we should, we should either send him something or we should uh, admit that we've never been sending anything out in the mail so. okay yeah no nothing and I won't do it. that I won't admit that <laughs> okay <laughs> Let's move on. We got two more rounds, and and uh, the this one first one comes from Amanda Lemos over Michelle Waterson Gomez via round two guillotine choke, and this was like a weird finish on the guillotine yeah. because because she t- she gets the tap from Waterson Gomez on the opposite side of it was Kevin McDonald yep. right opposite side of Kevin McDonald, and that's not for lack of of trying from Kevin McDonald. He was it looked like he was trying to get the best position. He was definitely moving around. Seemed, seemed like he was he was trying to watch uh Waterson Gomez's face to see if she goes out. Sure, or, sure. Or check I think for that. I look, so. it looked like he was doing everything that a judge or excuse me, a referee mm-hmm. would be expected to do. Mm-hmm. It's just so happened that Waterson tapped with the other hand mm-hmm. on the opposite side. But Lamos lets go of it right away without being told. And everyone's a good sport and says it's over. But Lamosh made a big mistake letting that go. You wait until the referee tells you no. I know it's like probably something you're in training. You obviously, you know, yeah. we've rolled before. When someone taps out, you just do it. But when you're in a fight, you got to keep going. And that could have ended up badly. But fortunately, Waterson Gomez is a good sport and, and everything. All's well that ends well, right? Yeah. Uh, Lamosh was the ref. She <laughs> she stopped fighting. Evidently. But I, I actually, I want to I wanna highlight that as I feel like that's like a moment of good refereeing. I think yeah. I think Kevin McDonald was doing a really good job there, mm-hmm. even though I don't know how it looks to people at home. I think that's probably the way I, I would want to see a referee do it. And I, yeah. I, I imagine because he is a an official who trains officials that we should trust his uh, yeah. his protocols there. Mm-hmm. He's been a good resource to us uh, in the past yeah. before as, as a past guest. But anyway, round one before this all happened. Not the most action-packed round. Why don't we talk about that? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I thought we actually did that round already. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Yeah. We talked a lot about it, though. We did. We have to fin- All right. That, we have to, we're actually talking about round two. That's where the finish happened. Yeah. Uh, so round one, yeah. On the feet, I think Lamos is landing the stronger strikes. A lot of kicking from both parties. Uh, I think her kicks to the body and legs are pretty solid. Watersons feel to be more of the grazing variety, uh, which you typically kind of get. The, the imp- immediate impact at, at Strawway is, is always... Uh, Pretty low, it feels, or tough to decipher, I should say. Uh, about a minute left, they end up on the ground. Waterson lands a couple solid strikes here. I think it's a close round, but I think Lamos wins at 10-9. Yeah, I also agree. Uh, it's just There's just not a whole lot happening, though. This is definitely not a die-on-the-hill round for, I think, either fighter. Mm. Um, but I think Lamos 
does enough in in let's say a, a low impact round. Yeah, I don't really have much more to add, <laughs> other than the fact that you and I both saw it for Lamos, who was uh, not the winner of the round on the majority of cards. That was uh, Waters and Gomez from Doug Crosby and Mike Bell. So we saw it like Chris Lee did, and what does that mean for Judge Chris Lee? Couch that over. <laughs> Chris, your prize is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and the last fight, last one uh, was the opener of the pay- uh, not the pay per view, the ABC aired main card. Lauren Murphy getting the win over Misha Tate, really good win for her, like we talked about, thirty twenty seven twice and a twenty nine twenty eight round three, in which the fight was pretty much already decided by this point. Is the only dissenting round. Let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, competitive round. Uh, I think Murphy's landing the harder shots. I think Tate is keeping it competitive, but really I think her best offense is towards like the minute and a half mark where she lands a couple solid punches that leads to a clinch situation where not much happens uh, in this scenario. Uh, Throughout the round, I thought Murphy was landing pretty good, especially a heavy elbow in the clinch right on that cut. Competitive round, but I I think it's for Murphy 10-9. Yeah, same. I don't really have a ton to add. It was... I thought it was a pretty decent round for Murphy, but not not one that I would get all bent out of shape about, especially yeah. having watched rounds live just the other day and understanding how much differently your views can be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm sure Derek Cleary saw enough, and I don't have any doubt in his acumen as a judge mm-hmm. at all. So he was there. Derek Cleary was the uh, Derek Cleary, excuse me, was the out judge here. Eric Cologne, Dave Torelli, they were in the majority, so we saw it their way, and that is it. That's our contested rounds. Eight finishes on a really exciting card. Uh, five by KO, TKO, three submissions. Two of these ended in the first round. Most, I think all the rest ended in the second round. So out of eight finishes, mm-hmm. six were round two. That's that's like a weird anomaly. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, there was only 12 fights, right? Yep. And, and there was a lot of booing for for 12 fights that would eight that ended in finishes yeah so. yeah this has to be said the long island card like they were the, the long island fans they were passionate but they were extraordinarily impatient oh my god they weren't even super thrilled with matt schnell's comeback over Darji. that was insane like at, at the beginning at least round one was like a pretty solid round round two was where it got absolutely berserk mm-hmm. but they were oh my god what the hell guys <laughs> you've watched fights before three guys who you probably you know grew up with, have been champions of the whole world in the UFC. You don't know how the sport works yet? Come on. Uh, yeah. Chill out, guys. If you just want to see face punching, mm-hmm. watch boxing. Yeah, And you know what? So, if you don't know what to say, just chant USA. You guys had they had that down yeah. down pat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't even think they did that during Chanel Sumodarji as much. But I wasn't in there because I unfortunately no, they was missing it, it they, yeah. live. I didn't get to watch it live. Yeah. That was that was your favorite finish, right? That was, yeah. Matt Schnell comeback win over Sumaderji in round two where he was taking a beating. Sumaderji was landing crazy elbows until Schnell rocks him with a right, gets a quick takedown, mounts him almost instantly, and just starts raining elbows until he rolls over into a triangle, gets the tap. What about you? Well, I'm still disappointed I didn't get to watch that one live. <laughs> <laughs> it was I, fantastic. I it might be it. Like you said, a round of the year contender right there. So. I think it probably is the, like, I can't think of one off the top of my head just because I haven't thought deep into it, but this feels like the round of the year so far because mm. it was just so phenomenal. And it ended in a finish, too. Yeah. You know, like, you don't always get that where from a round of the year contender. The, the only one that comes to mind is uh, McKinney and, and Dober. 
Yeah, that was wild. That was too. that was wild yeah. too. I feel like why don't we just like watch those back to back to back to back to back just over and over okay. again until until we get tired of it, yeah. which we won't because they're great. <laughs> uh, no, my favorite finish was Dustin Jacoby uh, just blasting Dylan Jung in the first round. I think it was like three thirteen of round one, knocked him down. He was definitely out. Like it was over. Yeah, walk real off. quick walk off knockout. He knew it was all over. Um, good stoppage. Good finish. Good good way to energize a crowd, which possibly could have gotten a little impatient after two fights that went to a decision even though they weren't boring decisions i didn't right. think they were engaging fights but they didn't have many high spots so far um but that is that was it for for long island glad i went glad i went glad we you know we we hung out after we went mm-hmm. to applebee's we hung out with uh nolan king of mma junkie yeah it was cool. a good time cool hanging out with him. him yeah good dude uh hey nolan if you're listening Better be this. It was fun watching the Yankees beat the Red Sox. Yeah, you enjoyed that, didn't one. you? Especially because he's yeah, a Boston was... guy, and he, he didn't <laughs> care that much, though. He's he's not a baseball fan that as much as he used to be. I think he said. Um, but let's let's look ahead first to Friday because there is Bellator 283. Now you don't love Bellator, but we're going to talk about it, sir. We're going to talk about there, Bellator. There you are. Not much. We don't have to. Uh, Douglas Lima is the new main event. It was supposed to be uh, Patricio, no, uh, Patricky Pitbull defending his 55 town belt against Sydney Outlaw. Patricky had to uh, bow out, so now Outlaw stayed on the card against another opponent in the co-main, but the main event now is Douglas Lima against Jason Jackson at 170. Um, it, it's a fine fight. It's not the one I'm most interested in, though. I'm actually more interested in Usman Nurmagomedov against Chris Gonzalez, also at 55. Um, I just want to see what Usman Nurmagomedov can become, because you've already combined the names of two GOAT-level <laughs> fighters. Yeah. Um, but he's he, he looks like a fantastic prospect in his own right. Even if his name was you know Joe Smith, he is fascinating. I want to see where his progression goes. All right. And then also uh, Lorenz Larkin. He's always fun. You gotta like Lorenz Larkin. I like Lorenz. Larkin, he's a yeah. good fun fighter to watch. He's going against uh, Muhammad uh, Berkhamov, one seventy pounds. He was I, Larkin's bounced around. He's he's been as high as two hundred five. That back in Strikeforce days, he went down to middleweight, and then I found he found his like comfort zone at one seventy. But he's so, he, I think he fought recently at one eighty five as well. I think he's better at one seventy. This is this should be his spot. He's not the biggest man. Like I don't think this is. You'd have to ask him, but I feel like he's not sucking his body out to get to one seventy. Okay. So, but yeah, that that's kind of where I sit. I feel like Dan, if you're gonna watch any fight on this one, and this is actually when we're going to be driving, or we'll probably be back up by then. Maybe we'll we have to watch a little, yeah, little bit. Yeah, probably get. We should watch like this fight. If you're gonna watch this one with me, watch Usman Nurmagomedov. All right, all right, works for me. All right. Um, and then the next day, this will happen simultaneously with our our ABC training, which we'll talk about in just a moment. UFC London. It's an afternoon card because they're five hours ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis Blades against Tom Aspinall. This is a really interesting heavyweight main event. I like this one. Yeah, I like that Aspinall's back on this one. I wish Arnold Allen was also on the card, but he isn't. So. Well, I think it's actually a really good card, to be honest, dude. I, it I is. like this it is. card. It is, I, but... There's a lot of fights I like. Um, but, but you know, before we go to those, I, I still want to talk a little bit about Blades and, and Aspinall. I think there's some real... Tom Aspinall is getting really close to that title picture. I mean, the fact that he's from England definitely is going to help a lot. It's it's making him a star because he's going to be, you know, in now two consecutive main events in his home country uh, in London. Now, he's not from London, but, he, you know, it's England, his home country. And I think if he gets another good performance here against Curtis Blades, everything at heavyweight is so in flux. I feel like there's always an opening for someone to step in whenever they feel like they're doing some form of a heavyweight title fight mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Whether it's an interim or not. So he might be a lot closer to that title than uh than he probably thought he'd be this year. Yeah, this is this is an interesting match. Who know like is, is Curtis Blades gonna try to wrestle him? I don't know. 
He didn't. He didn't try to wrestle Derek Lewis. He seems pretty so, confident in right. his striking these days. So yeah, and it's it's working. I mean, he knocked out Chris Dawkins. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. he 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 is definitely a more capable striker than he was now. I think he's much more well-rounded. Um, is it, does that make him a good striker? You know, that's that's for you know maybe purists to decide. But is it effective enough? Yeah, it might be against Tom Aspinall. But Tom Aspinall has he can finish you like kind of anywhere. He's really just like a finisher. He's not like yeah. a knockout artist. He's not a submission artist. He's just a finisher. And I yeah. think that's even better. I, I would I would I would think this one does not end in submission though. I think. If there's gonna be a finish, it's gonna be a TKO coming from either way. I don't know. I could I could even see someone getting stung and Aspinall just locking yeah, on. Yeah, that's a, the only way. That, I just don't see that. But that though. counts. <sighs> what did you What did you call that? When it's a club and stuff. Club and stuff. That's, Thank that's, you. That's, I like. I, I, I don't. That. I'm not taking credit for. It. I mean, that's that's a typical typical term thrown around. No, I've never heard it to be honest. It really? Never, like it never come across me. Yeah. Really? No one ever said club and sub around me. Wow. Everyone, when I would walk in the room, they were saying club and sub, club and sub, club and sub. And then I'd walk in and they just stop saying it. I, I, I got <laughs> oh, that okay. sense. I got you. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing for you. Nothing for you. You can't know. <laughs> uh, this being in England, of course, I expect that we're going to see some of the finest uh, English judges and maybe other international judges. Not sure. So guys like, you know, Ben Cartledge, David Leatherby, Paul Sutherland, you know, all, all the blokes out there. And that's a terrible accent, so I apologize. It was, awful. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. Uh, I should probably, you should probably stop listening to me if you're from England. Just, just shame me. <laughs> but I'm very. It's, it's always nice to see those officials get more UFC time because they are solid officials, and it's unfortunate that there's an ocean between us that they can't work more UFC events. Mm-hmm. But there's some other fights here that are really good, uh, and a lot of them are heavier weights. Like all the ones that I wanted to see last week were lighter weights. All the ones I want, and the cards were structured this way. But all the ones I want to see this week are at the bigger weights, like 85. Obviously, the, the headliner at, 12, uh, at 265 heavyweight is a good one too. But at 185, Jack Hermanson against Chris Curtis. I like both these fighters. I think it's gonna be a fun one. The Action Man against the Joker. This seems like a comic book uh, battle. Yeah, it it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because of the nicknames. Good for Chris Curtis stepping in though. Absolutely, because Dar- Darren Till was hurt, right? Darren Till yeah. did get hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another setback for him health wise. Chris Curtis though, actually, when we were watching some of these fights earlier, I I peeked in between and he had posted on social media a picture of Aljamain Sterling, uh, Chris Curtis himself, and Curtis Blades. And then he posted a picture of uh, Machop, Mo- Machoke, and Machamp. And he implied that there was in the evolution from, from oh, <laughs> in <yeah>. size. <laughs> and I thought that was great. So I guess that means if you're going to get to uh, Curtis Blades, you have to evolve Chris Curtis by trading him. Yes, that's a very, very in, yeah. that's a very in joke for Pokemon fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at two five, there's two fights that I like: uh, Nikita Krylov against Alexander Gustafson. It's, I don't know what Gustafson's kind of deal is now. He's man. I think he was one of those missed the opportunity because he just happened to be fighting at the same time as some really great fighters. Possibly, yeah. But I don't know what he can still do. Is he going to make a run at anything? I don't know. Um, Krylov is an interesting matchup for him, so I like that. And then there's also Paul Craig against Vulcan Ozdemir. And look, I don't root for any fighters if I can help it, but my grandmother's from Scotland and I feel a connection to the country, so I wouldn't be mad if Paul Craig got a win. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, that's I like Paul Craig. Little triangle, triangle action here. You think so? That's what, I, that's what I'm liking. Gogo Plata. All right, I'm down for that. It's Gogo Plata. All right. Either of them's gonna win by Gogo Plata. Oh, yeah, Matt Schnell almost won by Oma Plata. 
I you were <laughs> so I, I got a little crazy there. You did, you did. That. You said that, yeah. And then it was the sidewalk slam to get out of it. And then Sumidarji. he had, it was like, yeah, he Sumidarji slam. is freaking big boss man just hitting him with the the boss man slam. Mm-hmm. And then he whipped out the nightstick, and I thought that was inappropriate. <laughs> should have. That should have been a foul, but it was just a warning. It, it, just a warning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, and, and I think more important for our show, and this is a big moment for us. We're finally going, Dan, to officials training. Well, also, wait, before we get there. What? Patty the Batty's fighting, too. Oh, that's right. I forgot about him. Um, He's fighting Jordan Levitt, which is... I actually do... No, I like the opponent there. I think this is actually like... This is like a serious matchup for him as opposed to the ones that Mm -hmm. felt like they were just feeding him a couple wins. Right. So... Um, No, and no offense to the fighters that were his opponents, but they kind of... I mean, there were reasons that these men were selected to face Patty Bidlett. And and it's really such an impressive how fat he got and now how in shape he is. (laughs) So... Yeah. Maybe it was maybe it was always him like playing tricks with the camera. Imagine if every yeah, photo he took, he just applied like the fat person filter or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like when like the, <laughs> that'd be cool. Who was it that sh- I forget who did it? Someone shared a picture this week of Nate Diaz. The idea of yeah. him fighting at heavyweight, and they mm-hmm. they did the filter where he looks like a fat guy. <laughs> well, that's kind of funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, now go. But yeah, now now we got to look to ABC training, and I- I'm really excited for this. I'm really excited to learn and and, and see what it is they can show us in person because for two years we've been doing this show and we've had no opportunities to go anywhere to learn these type of things. And now we finally get to have some, uh, you know, it may not necessarily be hands-on, but it's it's in-person instruction. It's right there. It's different than doing things remotely. And I'm I'm really thrilled and, and blessed with that, that we get the opportunity uh, as media members. You're a media member in this case. Yes, but to... while I'm still taking the test in the class as a student. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. No, I mean we all are. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm taking it as a student too. I want to I want to do well. I want to I want to learn. I want to come away from this experience having uh better enriched my understanding of officiating whether be it refereeing or judging or both. Mm-hmm. So, I'm excited for both. I wonder if we have to wear like like athletic gear for yeah. for for the referee training we'll as have much. To, we'll have to figure that out. I I I I feel like the judges training it's probably less necessary. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know, maybe there's calisthenics involved. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know. Yeah. But either I, way, it's different. I imagine there might be more movement involved in refereeing. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's really just about like seeing things. So. You think there's going to be a cage there? Yeah, they definitely have seven cages. Okay. Uh huh. They're going to be set up on the falls, floating. <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of doubt it. Okay. I bet you it's more like a mat situation. Okay. If if there is, but I don't know. I really don't know what to expect. I'm kind. I have I have expectations in my head based on not talking to anyone. Okay. about this but like i'm i'm gonna show up there and i'm not gonna be disappointed yeah. i'm just curious what it's gonna be so but mm-hmm. in my head that's that's where my uh my i guess visions of what it's like are mm-hmm. gonna be yeah so I'm, I'm excited for it and then i i'm staying much longer than you you are leaving sunday night after the judging after thing, the yeah. judging like right away because you couldn't possibly stay in niagara another moment yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> i i'm staying around town because i'm going to be covering the next few days of the abc conference i was told to go to to anchor bar which is supposedly where the buffalo wing was invented really that's what i was told do they have the first buffalo wing there they i i wouldn't eat it but yeah they might mm-hmm. have it like bronzed maybe they maybe when they've made the first buffalo wing they said no no one can eat this <laughs> This is history. <laughs> and then it's covered in flies. Dead flies. Old dead flies. Anyway, that's gross. 
<laughs> but yeah, so I'll be covering the conference. You'll be going home. But yeah, I, I don't know. We have to figure out when we're going to be doing the show. I guess maybe we'll do it after you get back. Yeah, because do it remotely because I mean, we're going to be next to each other for 48 hours and we don't do a show next to each other. Here's the you thing. had to leave. Here's the thing. If UFC London has like a record amount or like double digit rounds, mm-hmm. just be prepared for a long show. That's true. Because we wouldn't have a lot to talk about. I guess in theory, if we have enough time, maybe we can record an episode. No, no, no. We're not going to bring our equipment. I could bring the equipment. You want to bring the equipment? I could bring it. All right. So I mean, you. it's not that's up to that you. Difficult. Um. Then yeah. I mean, we'll figure it out. We don't need to discuss this on air. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. Maybe maybe we will put out a show for Sunday morning that's just on the judging, and then we'll do it with the one the following week that's also, or maybe midweek even that talks about the actual experience. Possibly. Yeah. That sounds good. We could do a midweek one. Yeah. We, we need can to do, do that. Yeah. And as the show peters out, thank you everyone for listening. Like I said, we'll be back with one, maybe two episodes in the, in the next week or so, or week yeah. and a half. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you again on Monday, at least. And we'll see anybody who's going to Niagara. Say hi. <laughs> Take care, everyone.